This is a Squeeze podcast. We're your shortcut to being informed. Since we talked a couple of weeks ago about Ukraine and Russia, things have advanced and Russia is now rolling across the border. NATO, the military alliance that is the North Atlantic Treaty Organisation, is at the centre of the standoff between Russia, Ukraine and the West. And as Russia makes its move across the Ukraine border, this quiz shortcut will get you across why NATO was established, how it's operated in times of conflict and what it has to do with the growing crisis. Squish Shortcuts is the backstory to the big news stories. I'm Eliza Harvey. And I'm Claire Kimball. This is the second shortcut we've done on the growing conflict between Russia and Ukraine. And in the last few months, Russia's issues with NATO have really come to the fore. And there's been quite a bit of background that's led them to here. So, Claire, let's start with the who, what, when and why facts about NATO. Yep, that sounds like a plan. All right. NATO was formed in the wake of World War II. That was on the 4th of April 1949 and included America, Canada, Western Union nations, and I'm sure you're about to tell me who they are, as well as Portugal, Italy, Norway, Denmark and Iceland. Yeah, so already there's a big to get into <laughs> with that. Uh, so go back to the end of World War II uh, and the Soviet Union was an ally of the UK, France, the US, etc. in that war. Uh, but after the war, a military alliance called the Western Union was formed that included France, the UK, Belgium, Netherlands and Luxembourg. Uh, that that happened in September 1948, and it wasn't long before an expanded group included Canada and the United States. That was formed to make up that North Atlantic Treaty Organization, NATO, and it included 12 countries. Okay, so that's the who, what, and when. The why relates to the old USSR. Yeah, so there were fears about the Soviet Union's power uh, and its values at the end of the war. And that was a top of mind issue 70 years ago and also in this current crisis with Russia. And when you look at NATO's own stated reason for being, it says it's down to three things. And this is the quote, deterring Soviet expansionism, forbidding the revival of nationalist militarism uh, in Europe through a strong North American presence on the continent and encouraging European political political integration. So three big themes there, and at the heart of it is a rejection of socialism and communism by the democratic nations that make up NATO. Yeah, absolutely. And when you look back on that era, it was that battle of values, so communism versus democracy, that drove Cold War tensions. The UK, France and so many nations in Western Europe had been through two really hideous world wars uh, defending the values of freedom. And there was a real fear that the USSR was out to over throw democratically elected governments uh, and impose its economic and social values on more of the world. And the United States' participation in World War II and then the formation of NATO was a real game changer for Western European nations because the US had had a long-held position of staying out of Europe's affairs. Not only did America participate in World War II, uh, it bankrolled the rebuilding of Europe through the Marshall Plan uh, because it recognised that the best way to stop the spread of communism was to ensure that Europe was economically stable. Uh, along with that, America also accepted that it needed to step up when it came to the military security in that region. 
And that's why the US is a big part of NATO, although things did get pretty shaky under President Donald Trump. (laughs) Yeah, his complaint was that NATO members in Europe weren't spending enough uh, to support the alliance and that they were always relying on the United States to shoulder the burden. Uh, And it is true that the US spends the most on defence, more than 3.5% of its GDP, uh, while the average NATO member spends about 1.7%. Maintaining a strong defence force so you can play a role in maintaining regional security is one part of the NATO agreement. And the other issue to call out is something called Article 5. NATO allies agree that, uh, and this is the quote, an armed attack against one or more of them shall be considered an attack against them all. Uh, And following such an attack, each ally would take, and this is again a quote, such action as it deems necessary, including the use of armed force in response. Discussions about those words have shaped some of the notable conflicts over the past 70 years. Let's get into that next. You and Kate did a shortcut last year on the 70th anniversary of ANZUS. That's the security pact between Australia, the US and New Zealand. And under that arrangement, we've agreed to go to each other's aid if it's attacked. Australia's then PM, John Howard, invoked the ANZUS Treaty and sent troops to Afghanistan to support the US following the 9-11 terror attacks. And Claire, that same thing happened under the NATO agreement. Yeah, exactly right. And just like ANZUS being invoked for the first time, time those 9-11 attacks or Article 5 of the NATO Charter invoked for the first time in the organisation's history. An attack on any member is considered to be an attack on all, so they went to work. But there's no NATO military force as such. It's not like there's a NATO army or an air force. So when NATO goes to work, it means the nations involved work together on particular operations. Yeah, exactly right. So troops from the UK, Canada and so many more were involved in those initial stages of the war in Afghanistan. Uh, That was overseen by the United States. But after the Taliban had been driven from power, NATO established what was called the International Security Assistance Force or ISAF uh, in Afghanistan. That happened in August 2003. Uh, Its primary objective was for the Afghan government to provide effective security and to develop a new Afghan security force. At its height, the force was more than 130,000 strong, involving troops from 51 NATO and partner nations. ISAF was one of the largest military coalitions in history, and NATO says it was the most challenging mission ever. But there have been other conflicts NATO has been involved in that didn't start with an attack on one of its member nations, Claire. The first to note was its intervention in the Bosnian War. That started in 1992 as a result of the breakup of Yugoslavia. Uh, At the start of that war, the United Nations ordered a no-fly zone over central Bosnia and Herzegovina uh, to stop military aircraft from operating in that region, and NATO became the enforcer. Before we move on, just quickly, so there's clearly a relationship between the UN and NATO here, Claire. Yeah, there is when it comes to security matters. So the United Nations Security Council makes resolutions that they need to have enforced. Uh, When it relates to Europe, NATO often takes the lead in that. So let's go back to Bosnia. NATO undertook its first wartime action in 1994 when it shot down four Bosnian Serb aircraft violating that no-fly zone. And Claire, in that same neighbourhood, NATO was involved in the Kosovo War of 1998-99 
and that saw ethnic Albanians fight the Serbians. And a name that might be familiar to many listeners, it was Serbian President Slobodan Milosevic who led the crackdown on the Albanian separatists. Yeah, Milosevic has the distinction of becoming the first sitting head of state to be charged with war crimes. Uh, After long discussions with the United Nations, NATO was given the job of ending that war and so it started a 78-day bombing campaign uh, in March 1999. That campaign was criticised for high civilian casualties, but the war did end uh, and NATO then led the peacekeeping operation there. So NATO's job extends beyond calling in the troops when one of its member states is attacked. It's also been called in to enforce UN sanctions and when there are fears that human rights atrocities are being committed. And during the time frame we've just covered, Russia was pretty busy too, Claire. Yeah, the Soviet Union dissolved and many of those new nations in the east of Europe, uh, so those geographically close to Russia, joined NATO. And there's a whole backstory that's crucial to why NATO is at the top of Russian President Vladimir Putin's lists of concerns right now. So let's get into that next. Claire, to get to the heart of Russia's issues with NATO, we have to go back to 1990. That's when the US under President George H.W. Bush was holding talks with Russia's Mikhail Gorbachev about how NATO troops could operate in the territory of the former East Germany. Now, nothing was agreed to in writing, but the undertaking from the United States and NATO was that it would not expand the East if Russia accepted Germany's unification. Uh, This is one of those moments when a map would be really handy. Uh, But when you look at the map, uh, it's not what happened. Many nations east of Germany signed up. So what started with 12 nations at formation grew to 30 members, and many of those nations new to NATO were embarking on democratic futures, and the alliance was a way for them to be more secure from a military point of view. Yeah, and for Western European members' part, NATO was a way for them to spread their political and military influence into Eastern Europe. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin, Russia's president, was pretty dirty about it. Uh, He talked about NATO breaking the agreement not to spread East as a huge betrayal by the West. So when you look at this map that we can't actually show you, what's happened is NATO states now come to the border with Russia in the north and heading south. There are two countries that provide a buffer and that's Belarus and Ukraine. Belarus is 100% aligned with Russia, but Ukraine is a whole other kettle of fish. In 2014, a popular uprising saw its pro-Russian government turfed out, and that's what created the long-running and violent conflict with Russia that we've seen over the last few years. And a key issue to this crisis is that Russia really doesn't want Ukraine to join NATO. It's an issue that Putin has called out as a key concern as the crisis has escalated in recent weeks. And there's two things to note. The first is Putin says that he sees Russians and Ukrainians as one people. So Russia really doesn't want Ukraine to align with the West and joining NATO would do that. And the second is if you become a NATO member, the United States, the UK and plenty of other nations get more military access to your nation. And Putin just doesn't want to see that sort of presence on his border. But Claire, we are getting ahead of ourselves just a little bit because Ukraine isn't a member of NATO and it's unlikely to join anytime soon. 
That's right, which is why the critics say that Putin's recent jumping up and down about Ukraine joining NATO is a made-up excuse to do what he really wants to do, and that's to make Ukraine part of Russia. And from the West's point of view, there's problems with Ukraine joining NATO. Uh, That's because with all that baggage between Ukraine and Russia, if Ukraine was a member today, with Russia coming over the border, it could put NATO members in a difficult position. And that's because, as we talked about Article 5, it means an attack on one NATO member is an attack on all. And the kicker to that is it's Russia that they would be going to war against. And Russia is a military superpower and it would be tantamount to a new world war. And that's why the US and NATO have both said they would not put troops into Ukraine if it was invaded. Claire, a whole world war, that's escalated pretty quickly. Exactly. And it's a hypothetical world war. So that is something, even though Russia has crossed that border now. But it certainly does explain how complicated it is and why engaging with Putin to get a diplomatic solution has been dominating the time of the leaders from the United States, the UK, France and Germany. So the big guns but things have moved on. And that's your shortcut to NATO and the Ukraine crisis. On to recommendations now. I'm going a bit off-piste here, Claire. I'm following your lead. I love a Cold War thriller. And when it comes to the fight between the West and Russia in the 60s and 70s, nothing beats a book by John le Carre. My favourite is Smiley's People. It's the last in the Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy trilogy. Liza, usually it's my job to go off script (laughs) with these recommendations, but I'll give you that one. Uh, We've talked a lot about not having a map. I've got a map. Uh, You can see what we're talking about with that expansion of NATO-aligned nations in Eastern Europe. Yeah, I'm keen to have a look at that one, actually. And thanks so much for tuning in to Squish Shortcuts. If you like our shortcut, you might want to consider leaving a review in your podcast app. We always love getting recommendations on shortcuts. So if you have any ideas, get in touch with hello at thesquiz.com.au. Until next week. Kate Watson, co-host of News Club and The Weekly Wrap, jumping in here to say thank you for listening to our podcasts first and foremost. And if you like them, we'd really appreciate it if you could share them. Tell your mates about us. Tell your family. Tell your barista. Tell your hairdresser. Whoever you think might be interested in the news that we cover. You telling people about us is still the number one way we grow. Thanks in advance.